Okay, so uh, I guess that no discussion about True Detective can be uh, left without a McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, at the beginning. <laughs> <What's> okay? <that? laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got to do all right, all right, all right, all right. We got to do that. Um what did you think of him uh, winning the Oscar too? Did you ha- happen to see? Uh, uh, I did. Um, I know I haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club, okay. um, and for a very specific reason. And this sounds horrible of me. You hate people with AIDS. No, <laughs> that's yeah, what I'm yeah. hearing. <laughs> Bug carriers. No. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I really have not liked Matthew McConaughey. I have not seen one thing that he's done that has convinced me. Even in his comeback phase, well, I have, but I've never seen one thing. I've and my exposure to him has only been, has been very limited because of yeah. the movies that he's been in. The romantic comedies, obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, and so when I heard about True Detective, right, I was kind of like, Ugh. but after seeing some of the visuals, I was like, yeah. this. This really looks fantastic. Yeah. I can probably push past that bias of mine right. uh, and watch it. And the minute I did, it was like, holy shit, this kid's doing his best work ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one that has said that. I yeah, mean, definitely. And uh, there's actually a lot of discussion about that Academy Award yeah, guy right. and how, to an extent, it was almost honoring the work he was doing concurrently yeah. on True Detective. Yeah, of, of I would say of, of the stuff that he's done recently. He's kind of, he's done a... He's done a good thing of trying to kind of get back to what was interesting and experimental about being an actor. Mm-hmm. Bef- like, you could make the case that he was on autopilot through a lot of his, mm-hmm. you know, not in the late 90s and 2000s work. I mean, yeah. it, it feels like a paycheck. Yeah. But with these, it seems like he's getting back to to finding character and, yeah. and well there was um he they replayed a discussion he'd had with uh or I don't know if it was a replay or not but he had had a discussion on NPR recently mm-hmm. um where this was a couple weeks back he was talking about how he had a you know got his family started yeah. his wife and kids um kind of right at a perfect time cuz it literally took him out he was able to take himself out of that uh, being pigeonholed as yeah. the romantic comedy guy right. and how all the stuff he's doing now is kind of this result of him being able to almost kind of break a cycle, you know, and say, you know, hey, it's time for me to do more interesting yep. things and yep. having that power at that point to do those things. Yeah. So, so really, again, I have never really enjoyed Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Um, until True Detective started, and then I heard this interview with him on NPR, mm-hmm. and I was just like, he actually, mm-hmm. you know, just seems like he takes this craft very seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I, I see it. He's, he's sometimes, and you could definitely say this about uh, a lot of people's opinion of True Detective. I feel like he, he is the best part of a lot of movies. Um, and I'm not talking about that the dregs that he's been doing, but um, the his his new his new phase. And I mean, I I know uh, a lot of people. I, I love Days and Confused, and he's mm-hmm. the hi- he's one of the highlights of Days yeah. and Confused for a lot of people. I mean, his his lines, every single one of his lines are quoted like they're up yeah. there with the quotables <laughs> of that movie. Anyway, True Detective, 
we're gonna we're gonna talk about it today. A little criticism, a little appraisal. We're um, I would say it's fair to say we're both big fans of the show. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's not flawless. Oh, absolutely not. But um, I think that it's something to to talk about. Obviously, the uh, one of the biggest drawing points for a lot of people, um, the the film and TV nerds as well as mainstream audiences, mm-hmm. uh, everyone's t- talking about McConaughey. McConaughey, this you know he's he's the uh, he, he's one of the highlights of the show. Right. A lot of people, t- you, you know what it is. A lot of people who aren't on the on the uh, wavelength of knowing what he's. Been been doing recently right they try to piece together romantic comedy lead right with this the guy best. with stringy hair and you know stone cold drunk with the mustache right. and everything who's dropped 50 pounds exactly muscle, which um friends of mine actually mm-hmm. when they started watching the first couple episodes and hadn't known right didn't see the opening titles or whatever which we have to talk about yeah, yeah. The opening titles absolutely <laughs> but um uh were literally like I didn't even really know it was him mm-hmm. until I caught the actual opening sequence yeah. and it was and I think um just as an aside here uh it's impossible to acknowledge uh McConaughey in True Detective without uh giving a lot of credit to Woody Harrelson actually I mean yeah. um a lot of people are crazy about the McConaughey stuff mm-hmm. and I agree don't get me wrong like yeah. I said you know my opinion of him has completely changed um but the contrast with the straight man, yeah, I mean, it, it is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And you know they're r- good friends in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, I remember reading something that even though they were friends, they stayed in character, kind of onset and right. offset, so they weren't talking to one right. another and all that kind of stuff. And you know, but it's it would be such a flat portrayal, I think, yeah. if you didn't have that. Yeah. Um, the comparing contrast, yeah, yeah, the contrasting character there to bounce right. all that off. Right. So, so props and, to Harrelson as well. I mean, definitely. And there's always, I mean, the, one of the big things is, is if you watch this show, you start realizing how m- much, you know, uh, opposing poles they are yeah, oh yeah. in in the way that they approach women, mm-hmm. in their outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one's one's uh, lack of religion or lack of spirituality or atheism mm-hmm. versus someone who might think that he has uh, a belief in family a belief right. a, a religious belief whatever you know they, sure. they, so there's so many compare and contrast between the two of them and uh, well and, and yeah. I think that's a very important point because and I think one of the things that you know is important in that it, it is a character study you yeah. know looking at these guys over 17 years of their lives and what this one case does to them right. uh, you know all the other elements notwithstanding um, they you know, it almost seems towards the towards the end that you know, obviously one, they they're closer, yeah. uh, and two, they almost seem like two halves of a whole. And I know it's kind of cliched almost to say, yeah. but I really kind of got the sense that, um, you know, because their attitudes and opinions contrasted so harshly, yeah. um, and you you did get these little glimpses of, you know, moments where they would connect on a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know mainly that was just around the work yeah you know uh and their love for that yeah um and it to me again it kind of felt like they started out as very contrasting and then they were complementary basically yeah i I think by the time they get back together in 2012 and you know russ cole is telling him we have a debt 
we need mm-hmm. to we need to solve this case yep. um, and I started noticing especially in I think the seventh and and eighth episode definitely in the seventh episode that when they're put piecing together the things at uh, at Marty's PI firm you know they're mm-hmm. piecing together the evidence and everything they started talking about stuff that friends talk about you know uh, right. Marty on match.com you know yep. his dating and just it, it, it was less about philosophizing like right. it was in the 1995 storyline where they're right. so diametrically Diversity. opposed yeah, yeah. but now they're talking as friends they yeah. never did that when they were just driving in no. the car you know? and in fact I think it's uh, we've been we've been trying to rewatch them recently but unfortunately it's been kind of hit or miss right. uh, my wife hadn't seen seven or eight so we watched those last week and I've watched up to four again mm-hmm. um, I've actually watched four a couple times because the um, the ghetto yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> but, six um, minute yeah. second shot. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's something very interesting uh, to me is that you know I think and I think a lot of people would probably agree with this to an extent is that uh, men bond through experiences. Right. They really do. Right. Um, and where I think you know, it, I mean that's painting with a broad brush, obviously. Uh, but I think that that's one of the things that really comes through there. And in the last episode in 8, something I noticed, which I haven't been able to find anywhere else, is that I think that's the first time that Marty refers to Rust as his friend. Yeah, yeah. You know, he says, you know, the last that's the last thing I sure. remember, you know, laying there with my friend, yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, well, now we see how far they've really come because someone's actually put this right. concrete notion into play. Right. Um, and it's, pointed it. It also comes off, you know, we're going to talk about the, the last episode. In fact, let's do it right now. <laughs> but the last episode really has a lot of elements of, of, uh, of Marty kind of breaking out of this machismo yes. that has been the whole season. I mean, he did discharge his weapon when he killed Ledoux, but this was the first that time that... Marty didn't kill Ledoux. Uh, Rusted. Marty shot him. Yeah, Marty shot him, but Rust was the one that laid the final headshot. I thought. No, Marty came out and shot him in the head. No. After he found found the kids. Oh, Marty came oh, out. Ledoux, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Who are you thinking? I, of? I was thinking of Errol. Errol. My yeah, yeah, my right. bad. Right, right. My bad. So there was yes. this time when when Marty he did shoot him, but that was almost in rage, uh, uh, something that he right. couldn't cap. You know, when right. they're out in that meth lab, forest yep. meth lab. Yep. But. Um, the, also in that fir- in that last episode, that's Marty, you know, shrugging his his machismo. Uh, you see that he is firing his weapon to protect, not right. just to to lay waste or because of rage right. or anything. He is. I mean, he just saw the horror show. He just right. saw the haunted house. He saw the dead dad in the uh, mm-hmm. in the bed and all that stuff. Uh, he saw all that stuff, but it's not just disgust. Right, you know, right. it is trying to protect right. his friend, quote unquote. But also, Very the good. other yeah. thing that you see is that you have this, pro, uh, you know, pretty brief scene when they're in the hospital, yeah. and Marty is Breaks saying, yeah. "Yeah, he's saying, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm fine." And he's he's trying cracks. to still have that veneer of uh, yeah. of uh, of being a, a strong male figure. You know, right? But he can't hold on to it, right? Yeah. And I th- and I think that's I think something there, there's a a criticism I think in there that that is kind of validated um, that I've seen tossed around a little bit is that and I won't say that I'm in agreement with it so much but I think there's a valid point to make is that uh, a lot of people felt that his wife at least would not have shown up in 
the hospital because more or less this seems like uh, an award right. of sorts for this, you know, almost self-destructive path that he's kind of been sure. on, I guess. Um, which I think is, again, I think it's valid, uh, but it's, it seems kind of a nit, I think. But doesn't she, but, at that point, doesn't, doesn't she, that last scene with, with uh, Marty and Maggie, isn't that kind of they have an understanding now she can see that he is a little more stable he's got that pi form uh, firm he has buried the hatchet with rust apparently yeah and, and i think you know i think that's a very organic way of looking at it to an extent you know um and you know a lot has been said about the strength of maggie's character um right. and i don't necessarily again think that it's a it's a sign of weakness on the character's part that she's there but but i think it it can't be ignored that you know his philandering and stuff like that uh He's he's there's still all of a sudden this validation of, yeah. you know, hey. But I think it's interesting to contrast. You know, like you were saying, there's been this this break in that facade. He's both of them have kind of taken off their masks at that point. Yeah, you know, sure. um, and finally they can move on to the next point of their life. So, um, like I said, I, I, I I'm not entirely agreement with the point, but um, but uh, I think it's a valid criticism to touch upon, which I um I think of course would then get into the bigger debate about them misogyny and stuff that sure. people are throwing around but um sure. but at any rate the um yeah no i i mean i think that's a very great point to harp on uh that you've made you know that now we're you know this is the first time that you know this relationship has really been solidified as you know to they care about one another to yeah. an extent and it hasn't been just them flipping each other off as their yeah. little sign off and whatnot so. and it's the it reminds me of that that scene with maggie and the 2012 cops uh, mm-hmm. papanya and, and Gobo. um i with that scene it made it seem like she was uh she made it clear that her the, her problem with rust is that he never knew what he wanted yes and that he always seemed to you know wander mm-hmm. sexually you know for affection whatever he just didn't know what he wanted, and it seemed I at least after that scene in the house, the 2012 timeline mm-hmm. uh, between Maggie and Marty, it felt yeah. like me like there there to me that there was an understanding there, that the that sort of uh, wandering she could see that he has finally made his mind up what mm-hmm. he wants to do. You know that that line that uh, that Russ says about uh, there's only so much time in life for one thing. You can't right, like you can't get good. spread you yourself enough time exactly. to get good at one thing. You can't be a baseball player, you can't be an, right. an artist if you find that you're good at something, you know, there's only so yeah. much time to do it. Um, what did you think about the episode? When you when you when the credits came up, what did you think of the season finale? Um, my, f- my very first reaction was that I thought it was, uh, a very fitting end to the first season. Um, again, that's not to say that it's not, uh, perfect. Right. Obviously there, it's flawed. I, I thought that things kind of got a little sloppy in the epilogue, but for the most part, I thought it was fitting. I thought it was, I won't say it was the perfect end because that's just kind of, yeah. I don't know. That's yeah, not here or there, but. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I really did. I thought that, you know, all the warts notwithstanding and everything, I thought seeing them both again kind of shed that mask, you know, both of them kind of take off their masks and break free from mm-hmm. how we've seen them in the past, mm-hmm. you know, seven episodes yeah. over 15 years or whatever it was. Um, I thought that was really poignant. And yeah. I thought it was interesting. And um, I know that they've said that those characters are just 
they're over and done with. They're not going to be back. Right. So, um, although I do know that Nick Pizzolatto has retained rights to the characters for use in other media. Gotcha. So interesting. Um, Did you 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 thought it was a good? Um, it it kind of I always think about like when people talk about. Uh, tangible well-plotted endings versus emotional closure type endings did it feel like a an emotionally better ending than it did say a plotting wise ending to you hmm because I think about yeah. the end of Lost. You know how people, blah, 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 I didn't get enough answers yeah. and all that shit. But if you watch it, it's a very emotionally right. fulfilling ending. Same right. thing no, with BSG. I <laughs> yeah. I bring that up to just break your balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, no, no. Uh, yeah. No, some I, people want the, the answers. They want it to, to be plotting well, they, excellence, I, you know? I, I think here's the thing. <sighs> no. No. You know what? I, I think that, no, I think it was... It was well plotted and both emotionally satisfying. Okay. Um, and the reasons for that are, uh, you know, this goes back to our conversation last year. I'm not a guy that wants things to be spoon fed f- yeah, yeah. to me. Sure. You know, I think it is a legitimate artistic choice, uh, or rather, ambiguity is a legitimate artistic choice. And what happens in other police? Procedurals. Right. There are these details that drift off. Right. There's always these details that drift off. Mm-hmm. You know, they're acorns falling from a tree, basically. It's, yeah. you know, okay, well, we've got these characters associated with that. Oh, well, guess what? This guy got blown up yeah. uh, by a car bomb. Yep. We think it can relate to this, but we're not sure. And then you never hear about mm-hmm. that part again. Yeah. You know, yeah. this witness got killed. Yeah. You assume it's on the part. You know, and, and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot a lot said on the internet at least about the whole thing with Marty's daughter right. and how that plot point just got dropped. Uh-huh. And uh, the point has been made by uh, the director, Kerry um, Fukunaga, Fukunaga yeah. um, that he never saw any of that as, as really evidence yeah. that Marty's daughter was involved in any of it. Yeah. But I mean, you kind of, you kind of have to engage with this again, and, and this again goes back to points that that I made. I think you know last time I was here, um, you they you can't just let them tell you everything. I mean, yeah. think about you know any any local area, any community. Uh, you know there are these you know legends, I'll say almost, but that kind of grow up in those communities. For example. Um, uh, you could look anywhere and find that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, if you know um, Marty's daughter went when it was particularly in the school system that Tuttle ran, mm-hmm. of course kids are going to talk about these sure. weird things. You know, sure. um, a lot of people made made a lot of uh, comments about how she had the Barbie dolls and they were right. laid out this oh, way. Yeah, yeah. And Maggie even makes the point. He makes the point. You know that this is stuff that girls talk about they have to know about this stuff early on and she's not talk she's not pinpointing these exact things she's speaking very general you know little girls have to know about sex at an early age Mm -hmm. you know blah blah um and so there's these elements that kind of drift off that i think that if you just kind of play with them you can really tease out those those their meanings right um, but they're not—they're not hitting you over the head with right. their overt meaning. Exactly. You, let, you can, yeah. It's it's very uh, very seventies uh, cinema right. where it it's uh, it allows for interpretation. 
Exactly. Uh, I think that the the thing is too is that when I was disappointed in the show mm. was when it didn't leave the interpretation up to me. When it when it hit me over the head with something. Sure. And even that could be said, we are playing into the procedural tropes, mm-hmm. or we're playing into the noir tropes right. uh, by by giving you this information in such a, 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 a definite, you know, right. uh, defined exposition. way. Yes, yeah, exposition. Yes, exposition. done exposition. So every time that it was outside of interpretation, in fact, I think that there's very little... About the storyline that we're seeing in episode one through eight, that is, that is left open to interpretation outside of character. I think that you can interpret a lot, fill in a lot of the gaps about the character, mm-hmm. about McConaughey's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the the scenes that we see the most of are ones that paint the type of person Marty is, mm-hmm. Harrelson's character. Mm-hmm. Everything else with with McConaughey, he does talk about his past. He talks about being on Narco. He talks right. about getting shot and all that stuff. That That's particularly in one episode, I think. Yeah. But so much of what has shaped him is, is behind, is behind, the, is scenes, behind the scenes. The scenes. Um, with Marty, we see how he uh, his relationship with his wife, mm-hmm. his affairs. We see how he tries to control the sexuality of the women right. around him, especially mm-hmm. his daughters, and even those scenes with the uh, you know the the boys that uh, had sex with his, his daughter, mm-hmm. uh, uh, statutory rape. Yeah. Uh, even with them, even that uh, whole subplot line was kind of played out to kind of paint the character of Marty. This is how he reacts right. when he can't control his daughter's sexuality. It doesn't even seem like she was right. raped. It seems like she was willing. willing. Just spent, yeah, consensual, exactly. consensual activity. Um, it, it, I think what uh, is, you know, to, to kind of take off with that point a little bit is that, you know, um, they, they make a very early point in the series. It's one of the first things said in the first episode by uh marty that you know they hooked me up with this guy mm-hmm. and all of his past has been redacted like his they gave me his files and there's like nothing in there yeah, he right. spent all this time in narco right. you know like and it doesn't go back over all that stuff so um and you you tease all that out over mm-hmm. the course of the series i mean sometimes it's very overt like you were saying you know he mm-hmm. actually tells the one woman he's dancing with hey i was in paris what'd you do in paris i drank a lot and mm-hmm at Notre Dame or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. So you do get these hints uh, of who he was and how disruptive uh, his daughter's death was to at least who he thought he was. Right. Um, and you can then see this mask he's put on since then, I think, basically. Sure. Um, this facade that he's kind of built. Whereas, you know, you're absolutely right. You see these very overt displays of, of Marty. And he's this very... You know, 1950s. I think, you know, he's very, the very, this very noir archetype. Absolutely. You know, he, he's the guy, the rough and tumble guy. Yeah. Um, who's getting his answers, you know. Um, you know, the, the hard way. He yep. does things the hard way. Um, but he, he's almost, it's almost hypocritical because, you know, as you, as you pointed out, you know, he, he doesn't have a stomach for some of this stuff. Right. You know, um, it he he can deal with it fine when yeah. it has to do with women. Yeah, you know, um, 
he can deal with manhandling them. Mm-hmm. You know, he can he can deal with trying to be controlling. Yeah. You know. Um, but even as a man, he does it like he he. Uh, there's that uh, that dinner scene in the first or second episode mm-hmm. uh, where the daughter asks uh, Rust. I think it, shot somebody, has shot yeah. someone, and Dad hasn't. Yeah. And that to me is kind of again. He is this this shaped character. Uh, um, uh, Marty mm-hmm. is this shaped character. That even his wife at some point calls a coward because he's yeah. putting a facade on. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, he's he's creating this thing. I feel like um, with Marty, I think Marty's journey is probably the point of of True Detective. It isn't, I, you know, and I think that's a really good point because I think that um, you know it it's obviously a character study. Yeah. Um, there's obviously two different points of view. Right. Um. Marty's, I think, you know, as you were saying before, you know, there's a there's a tangible quality to it. Yeah, it it is very apparent. Yeah, I think. Um, whereas Rust's arc, right, is much more, you know, ephemeral to an yeah. extent. To to you know, probably not the best word to use, but you get where I'm going. That's true. Yeah, it's there is this you know very concrete side. You know, this mm-hmm. macho guy. Um, you know, who does these things ways and, you know, he does things his ways and his wife even makes the point that, you know, he refuses to change. Yeah. Um, you know, when they're having that conversation in the bedroom. Right. Um, you know, and he's, he's putting on airs, I mean, because he's trying to skirt around the fact that he's screwing around on yeah. her. Um, so he's playing this role really well, um, you know, of, hey, you know, I, you know, it's just tough, you know, people tend to change, you know, and this and that and mm-hmm. she's like, and here I am thinking that people really don't, you know. Right. Um, which is an interesting point again, because uh, you know Maggie's picking up on things. She's like she's sure. really one of the most astute characters sure. in the series. Sure. And um, you know even you know uh, Woody Harrelson, you know Marty's talking to Gilbo and Papania and says, mm-hmm. you know, you guys know about the detective's curse. Yeah. There's that one thing that was right under your nose the whole time. Exactly. And they're not observant like that. Him yeah. and Cole, to an extent, they're not. They're so engaged in this. Right. Everybody else around them is picking up on, right. on you know, what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's really it was really interesting to see uh, Marty's transformation go from this. Well, there's also that world. It's this, it's this um, encapsulated atmosphere, this world that True Detective creates that there's... There's horrors all around uh, the bayou, all around this wide open forest, this w- w- this wild land, and uh, for me, it's like Russ Cole has seen uh, the tweakers. He's yeah. seen, uh, even though it, it happens later for Marty, we'll get to that. Yeah. But uh, he's seen the tweakers. He's seen horrors. He's seen. Yeah, he's been exposed uh, to it. Dr- yeah, drugs. As he says at some point, yeah. the degradation and violence of yeah. his world. So he has already been exposed to it and kind of burnt by it and mm-hmm. destroyed by it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Marty, you know, even though he sees it as a police officer, he sees a tweaker trying to dry off his baby in a yeah. microwave, and that's when he leaves the police yeah. force. 
even as these horrors build, he still has hope. He still has happy, you know, the, the happiness. He he thinks of the the family he has. He thinks right. about the you know uh, the the positivity of the world. Well, and I think that there's a there's a, a, a significant shift there in the last episode, and I think that's part of Marty breaking his mm-hmm. that facade of that of machismo is that he doesn't have his family yeah. anymore, but he does have a friend now. Yeah, yeah. You know, he does have this really good friend in Rustin Cole. Right. Um, and I think that again gets back to the point of you know um, him not wanting to change really to an extent. You know he's he doesn't want to see these things. Yeah. And a lot has been made about kind of the the uselessness of the scene in the last episode with um, Steve Gracie, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah, yeah. the sheriff, the sheriff yeah. of Iberia. Um, why was it there? Uh-huh. There was no point in that scene if you look at it. So when you were talking about plotting, mm-hmm. you could really probably lift that scene out entirely because that that again is uh, where we get into where I think uh, Pizzolatto is being very slavish to the tropes. Yeah, very plot. Yeah, very it, very slavish to the plot. Definitely. I mean, it very it. You could I think extract that scene, and probably still have it. you know that it it doesn't matter. So at any rate, um, but. The one thing about that scene that I think is really great is that it shows kind of this, uh, again, this, the myopia that, you know, Marty accuses Rust of at one point. Right. Um, exactly. You know, Gracie is saying, I'm just following procedure. You know, I, you know, yeah. told, Childress told me not to worry about this, blah, blah, blah. He handed me back this report. Right. So that's, I'm doing what's right. right. I'm doing what I'm, as a man, I'm supposed to be doing. Right. I'm doing my job. You know, um, I'm not questioning my superiors, you know, stuff sure. like that. Uh, and I think that you get a sense there of, like you said, you know, how Marty has started to change. Yeah. You know, he doesn't kind of play by that anymore. Well, he would know at that point. I love that they're playing golf. And when he leaves there, he he calls up Russ and says, get your, your cables and your yeah, battery. Yeah, motherfuckers lying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he would have never <laughs> yeah. done that before. No. And again, that's showing how Marty and Russ are becoming this, you know, one entity, this, yeah, this, one entity, this yep. friendship thing. Um, let's talk a little bit about what I think is the most striking thing about True Detective, okay. and it's not just um, what's in the story. It's it's the mood, it's yeah. the the atmosphere, it's this dread yeah. that falls over everything. Whenever I see one of those helicopter shots mm. of the wide open forest or the bayou and the swamps, yeah. and this singular car driving along a highway. That's really kind of scary to me. That is wilderness. Yeah. You know, there yeah. is no it's help. Not, it's not Bourbon Street. It's, yeah. It's not, you know, exactly. uh, a celebration. You know, it's not New Orleans. It's yeah. nothing like that. I mean, this is this is the backwater end right. of Louisiana right. where, um, you know, even the, the industrial uh, side of things, everything right. is, you know, there's that wonderful contrast where they've got these brilliant, vibrant greens, but in the background, you're constantly seeing sides of yeah. the encroachment of, uh, you know, the, the, the poisonous elements of uh-huh. society, you know. Um, well, I mean, I guess that's a little harsh, but um, that that's brilliant. And it does. It establishes such mm-hmm. mood. Um, I think Ar- Arca Paul, I don't remember the, the cinematographer's name, but right. that kid needs to get all the awards. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because sure. he nailed every shot. Absolutely. Every shot. Um, but one of the really interesting things about what you picked up on there, you know, you see the little car in this vast expanse is, you know, this ties in with a lot of Rust's kind of mysticism, exactly. his philosophy. Yeah, yeah. You know, mankind is small and mm-hmm. inferior. We want to feel big and everything's yeah. about us. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, we're just so small on a, exactly. on a cosmic scale. Exactly. Which, yeah. you know, um, is a huge element of uh, a lot of that 
cosmic horror type stuff mm-hmm. i love crafting and stuff mm-hmm. and whatnot so yeah that's what i think really feeds into it because i think about kind of that uh, open wilderness this lack of immediate help immediate police help immediate right. any type of help i think about um obviously this is a region that also has uh, a history of hurricanes and humongous yeah. storms biblical and nature I mean, yes. yeah well, you, you know, you have these these churches that were put up either by Tuttle organization mm-hmm. or, or funded by that. You have these churches that are run down. Mm-hmm. You have the, the nature re-encroaching on them, uh, vines and, Taking and back what mold and everything. Yeah. So it, whether it's that uh, that school where he first meets Errol as the lawnmower man mm-hmm. or whether it's that church where they find the, uh, the mural, mural. Yep. you're seeing just kind of like these empty corners uh, that that evil like Errol or or the dregs of society or this dread uh, yeah. all of that. that these things hide in hide in yeah. exactly yeah. and that's and it you know it, it goes back to you know one of the comments again that Pizzolatto made was that uh, part of the story is the hidden creature in the tall grass uh-huh. you know yeah. it's that that very natural human mm-hmm. instinct you know of fear you know yeah. fear of what's out there yeah. You know, um, and again, it's capitalized a lot on in the cosmic horror stuff. Um, you know, the whole idea that this world is such a small part of everything that there's almost a facade built around it, and those that are privileged or damned, however sure. you look at it, sure. they have been exposed to you know pulling that veil back and yep. seeing what you know horrors actually lie mm-hmm. out there. It's like, like in the, the cosmos. It's in the like tall that, grass. Uh, that that simple th- uh, line at the end. I think of uh, episode three, where he's like, uh, like the end of most dreams. There's a monster, there's a monster at the end. and you see that fu- you see fucking Ledoux with a yeah, machete with the, and, and a gas mask. Gas mask. Yeah. And I gotta say that was the one of the first elements of the whole series where I was like, this is. Below the skin, dark to yeah. me. It really yeah. felt uneasy. It's palpable, yeah. yeah, very, very palpable. Absolutely. Um, you know, and they and they they do that with, um, you know, again, again, getting back to the some of their shots and whatnot. Um, you know, it's easy enough to plot your shots and stuff like that, and just kind of do stick to your standard mm-hmm. kind of methods and whatnot. Stick to the rules. Um, we can't not talk about the six minute shot. Sure, in the absolutely. Ghetto. absolutely. And. One of the things that I think that people kind of, because I've seen a lot of kind of uh, pushback against that, you know, oh, you know, all they were doing was moving the camera, doing flashy, which, yeah. which is which is yeah. you know horseshit. Yeah. I'm sorry, it is because you don't even attempt something like that if you do, if you don't have a high degree of technical proficiency. Absolutely, you know, and they, if you watch how everything is, you know, how everything moves in that scene, everything going in the background, everything. There's a real, again, handle on technical skill of the director and the cinematographer. And it's palpable, again, that suspense. Chaos. Are they going to get out of there? Mm -hmm, You know, what's going on in the background, you know? And that wouldn't be there if they didn't know when to choose to, you know, come into that medium-wide shot. To pull out, to follow through the, you know, a house, you know? Um... I saw that. I saw that, and I really was blown away. Like mm-hmm. it sounds cliche at this point. It sounds really trite, but I'm sorry. Anybody who thinks that that shot isn't masterful yeah. doesn't get it. Definitely so. Definitely. But that was one of the things that really drew me in the series. Was again that there's such mood in 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 all of it. I mean, and it's not just. I mean, it'd be easy enough to kind of throw away the you know the tableaus that mm-hmm. they've created. I mean, other shows have done the same thing. Sure. Um, 
the last season of Dexter, or the last season or two of Dexter, which, whatever, mm-hmm. wasn't done as nearly effectively. Um, so it's not like the first time something like that's been attempted, but I think these guys, you know, just really brought to bear kind of everything right. and, and nailed it. I mean, for me, if I think about it, and there's so many similarities that we've already talked about mm-hmm. um, that are very similar to Seven. Yes. It's it's a it's seven I've talked about on the show a couple of times has been kind of a uh, it's a benchmark it's a benchmark it really is it's yeah. a benchmark in this type of genre but it's also a benchmark for me yeah. when it comes to these types of um, uh, this type of uh, horror nihilism mm-hmm. this this inability to to um, get at the darkness or to right. get at evil or overcome evil I really like media that is realistic about what evil is and uh, beating the bad guy is not the end of it. Right. And this is certainly a show that even in the in the eighth episode, in the final episode this season, the similarities with, with Seven just come to a head. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you don't necessarily know the mission statement when, right. you, when you're setting out to watch uh, True Detective, but... The idea of, and maybe some people didn't like this moralizing. Some people didn't like the attack uh, on of a of a moral to it. Hmm. Uh, I I my gut punch when I watched the last episode was I wasn't completely sure about that last scene, but I liked it. I liked yeah. that that we have um, this belief. I think in the viewer with all of this encroaching atmosphere and darkness and this dread, mm-hmm. this cosmic horror. Right, you've got that to have we, that, that little moment of light. That we expect that it's going to be Satan. Right. We expect that it's going to be some massive fucking evil right. that's going to, you know, it, it's going to be on. But it's a man. It's just like, you know, Morgan Freeman is saying to uh, to Brad Pitt in Seven. Mm-hmm. You think it's going to be Satan, but at the end of the day, it's just going to be a man. Right. And the cosmic horror there, there are elements that are spiritual and, and otherworldly, mm-hmm. especially about Errol in and of, of himself. But he is just a man. His his death is is uh, is less important right. than the two characters' outlook on mm-hmm. good versus evil. His death is sidelined. It doesn't really matter the, right. them finding this killer finally. It's about how does McConaughey, who's gone through this fucking eight episodes, yeah, being a yeah, being an atheist, being uh, uh, you know completely uh, without spirituality, doesn't believe in afterlife. Uh, he says, uh, I think even in the first episode uh, or second episode, when he's talking about his uh, daughter and everything, mm-hmm. and he, you you try to shape uh, McConaughey, he's like he's too coward. He's too much of a coward to commit suicide. He yeah. is. Which there's a bit of a reversal in that though, because it towards is. the end he says, you know, I'm, I need to be through with this, and then I can tie this off. You know, my life has been this exactly. circle of degradation and, and whatever, yeah, yeah. and I'm ready to, to end it. Yep. Um, you know, it's the funny thing about um, yeah, the two funny things I think about. <clears throat> excuse me, Errol, it just being Errol, and there not being this supernatural reveal is one is that. Um, I'm actually a believer. Uh, again, I love ambiguity, um, and a lot of people will argue that Rust's visions are just hallucinations. Um, that his brain and I can has see been that, damaged. That his by, brain has been damaged yeah. by whatever. But again, this is uh, again getting back to the cosmic horror bit. 
uh, these are these privileged, if not cursed, few that can yeah. actually kind of see, you know, the they've kind of touched this right. plane and it's forever warped their senses. Right. You know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. Dark City, for example, the very end of it when he sees where he is, yeah. uh, little things like that. You know, how does this affect uh, a normal sane person? Um, how does it affect an insane person? Right. Um, so all of this can, you know, kind of goes back to these old gothic horror conceits. And, and uh, one of the things uh, particularly that you get into with what was, um, I think it was more or less called female gothic, uh, you know, uh, stuff like Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, a couple mm-hmm. others that yeah. kind of pioneered this is that there's always these kind of like fears, these supernatural fears that typically play on real fears uh, uh, that women have had you know a lot of it will be you know sexual crime sure. you know exploitation stuff like that but in the end all all of these supernatural elements it's it's never a ghost it's never the haunted house it's sure. never it's all peeled back yeah, yeah. to reveal that it's just a person yeah it's just a person perpetrating this so there's this long line of um influence there from this genre um that goes back as far as shelley you know and I mean, you talk about Poe, the same thing, you know, uh, and he was essentially the father of the procedural, right. um, Definitely. you know, but every, all the supernatural elements tended to come down to just a person, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, that's a point that I think True Detective makes very well is that man is the cruelest animal. I mm-hmm. think somebody might say that at one point, but yeah. I don't recall. But um, the other side of that, though, is that, you know, it's it's almost that usual suspects kind of flair uh, you know, if in the biggest trick that you know mm-hmm. Satan made was convincing the world he didn't exist, yeah, that sort exactly. of thing. Yeah. Um, so I actually, although I would say that you could probably make a very stern argument that it is just this wonderful character study kind of encased mm-hmm. in this, uh, you know, police procedural generic kind of shell. I think that I really think that they intentionally left those supernatural elements open. Sure. Uh, and Nick Pizzolatto has even said. I don't want to take away anybody's interpretation. Sure. You know, if that's what you feel, then you've engaged with the material. Mm-hmm. It's left its mark. You know, I don't want to ruin that for you. So I actually tend to believe that Rust Cole actually that those weren't hallucinations. Right. I think he, I think there is this strong supernatural undercurrent. Right. Um, I think that you could take a lot of that away, and you still have this fascinating series. Absolutely, I yeah. think you would lose some of those dread elements, mm-hmm. but. I really think that um, he he has been exposed to this in some capacity, right. and that uh, these he's seeing these things yeah. uh, that they're actually happening. Right. I mean, Marty's not because he hasn't been exposed to that. Right. He still has this facade built around him. He hasn't, you know, but uh, Cole has has reached this point where uh, he's ready to embrace kind of those the deep dark horrors of Absolutely. the universe, yeah, yeah. and that has given him. Uh, you know, an unprecedented kind of view into the look of things. So, I see. And this is, you know, again, this is all stuff that, that you know, you can trace back to that gothic horror. Well, I think about, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Errol, yeah. as it turns out. Um, I think that one of the most cringeworthy uh, parts of True Detective was his last line in episode seven. Yeah, that was terrible. So the, co- so the 2012 cops are in the woods looking for a church. Um, and they come upon a, a, a lawnmower man right. um, with scars on his face. 
and uh, he, you know, he uh, he gets cut off while he's telling them where to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, cops being kind of a jackass. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, all right, <laughs> And he, he, you know, the the camera comes in on him, mm-hmm. and you know, my family's been here a long, long time. Yeah, or something a long, like long that. Time. Yeah. You know what's great though is it didn't even occur to me until the <laughs> until that episode actually. I swear I had seen that that actor before, and I was like, "Where the hell have I seen him?" He's the guy that played Remus in Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was right. like, "Holy shit!" That's right. Um, but uh, not to, not to go on too much more about the cosmic horror bit, but there's there are statements there that are made um, about that area, the Bayou. Um, Matthew McConaughey's talking about how uh, kind of that area used to be used by pirates and mm-hmm. smugglers at yeah. one point, um, and then it kind of turned over into plantations. Uh-huh. And this is very similar to a lot of stuff that. Uh, to, to kind of uh, how a lot of Lovecraft stories were set up. You had these old, old areas of uh, the Northeast that, uh, you know, basically had been kind of the same the same thing. They'd kind mm-hmm. of been set up as these kind of deep, dark dens. Right. Uh, and then over time, you know, these horrible secrets have been hit, have been found, right. and over time... Well, he mentions, also, he mentions also about that area being... Right. Uh, uh, inclined to to rural Mardi Gras. Yeah, the Carie de Mardi Gras, or yeah. whatever it is. But um, but you know, so the whole my the whole thing about that was uh, okay. There was a, there was an interesting aspect of that line. My family's been here a long, long time. You know, that's the type of stuff that reverberates through the works of Lovecraft and stuff. You do have these families and these uh, right. estates that have been in the areas for right. centuries. Right. Um. So that part I thought was kind of interesting, it's, it's, but it was so it's more on the nose. He has to say it. Yeah, hearing you know? hearing the hearing the evil bad guy say his, say, his yeah, yeah. You know, it's We've just always been here. Exactly, the evil don't go down there. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, but then with with episode eight, we kind of see not only the person that Arrow is, which uh, you know, for a fan of ambiguity, yeah. you know, being a fan of interpretation, you have to enjoy that. This weirdness that you don't know exactly why he's doing a James Mason impression. And then if you read about it or you think about what he's doing, you know, he's watching North by Mm -hmm. Northwest when he comes in, sees it on the television. And I think that there was the discussion of after his burns, he had trouble speaking. You know, maybe his esophagus Mm. was burned or his uh, voice box was burned Mm. or something. So the way that he learned to talk was through movies and TVs and and shit like that. Um, But it's also it's also a, a a mask. He wears many yes, masks. He wears many masks. Um, so again, which, and I and I think, um, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I don't necessarily buy the, the the hypothesis that he's learned to speak again with the movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for somebody who is so troubled, I guess you would say, sure. um, uh, I think that in order for those for someone like him to operate in society, he has to wear those masks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and I think cultivating different identities is probably would probably be very, very useful to him. Um, and I think it's a stretch, but I almost think it's a little bit more plausible. Is that since he is essentially part of the Tuttle family, he's been involved in different uh, aspects of society. He's been exposed yeah. to different aspects of society, uh-huh. and those may shape some of those masks more right. so than. Um, I can see that because he's, he has to he has to blend in. He has to blend in. So right. he, you know, if he's uh, painting a school, he has to take on a personal rural, demeanor. Collar, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, in the past, maybe at times, if he was forced to, for whatever reason, to uh, be exposed to uh, 
uh, you know, some high part of society. You know, he's then going to he could shape an identity around that. And what what's where do you see kind of these exaggerated interpretations of that in TV and you know stuff like that? So, um, do you think that it is part of your this the slavish quality, part of the uh, negative of being slavish to the uh, the tropes of whether it's procedural or mm-hmm. noir or whatever what do you think of this haunted house that they create in episode 8 I, what do you uh, think of him being so utterly crazy that he's talking to dead people and he's having oh he's so horrible well, see, he's having sex with his cousin I, I, and I think that I think there's there's a couple things there one yeah it it kind of felt like they fell the greatest hits old, of evil. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it like, is. Well, Errol Childress, yeah. ten album series. Exactly. Um, no, um, I agree. I, I, I think that was kind of a downfall of that last episode. And again, I think it kind of affected the plotting to an extent because anybody who's anybody who's watched or read any of the stuff over the past thirty years, yeah. you know, or actually longer than that, probably since sure. Ed, Ed Gain took the sure. stage, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, it, there's this trumped up idea in people's heads of how crazy people should be yeah, yeah. and how Louisiana <laughs> yeah. backwater people should exactly. be. Obviously yeah. they fuck their half sisters. No, right, you know? right, right. Obviously they're taking advantage of people in that capacity. Exactly. You know? um, they're dirty too. They're dirty. They're this, filthy. This, this haunted house is full of flies, uh, dirty clothes, yeah, you know, dolls. Yeah, just, oh, broken look dolls. how crazy he is. There's doll yeah, heads all over the place. Exactly. And like, you know, we were watching it last night, my wife and I, and she was like, that is a creepy house. And I was just kind of like, mm, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Right, you know, you know, like yeah, of course, you know, the the crazies don't take care of their house and stuff like this, which is hysterical because I would argue that probably they do a better job. You know, like, you know, like they get they obsess over yeah they get exactly. There was a guy that used to come into my bar who would vacuum himself out of his house. You know, like you know, of course these people are going to have these masks. These yeah. Sides. Um, so yeah, I know. I, I did think that uh, kind of those elements were right. again being slavish to these old tropes, you know, that um, kind of took away from it. But you know what? Uh, and I think it's funny because I think that you could probably find a real connection to you know prior eras of film in that. Um, and I'm not right. blaming uh, Fukunaga or Pizzolatto for being lazy, yeah. um, but. The first thing that when I saw some of those shots that we've talked about, mm-hmm. the first thing that I saw when I saw some of the sodium vapor lamps and you know, all this kind of stuff, I thought of Michael Mann. Yeah. Some of those, you know, those helicopter mm-hmm. shots and stuff. Sure. I was like, this is fantastic. Love Michael Mann. You know, obviously there's influence here. And then again, you think, what did Michael Mann? Do? Well, he did Manhunter. Yeah. Still, you know, yeah, Lecter's this unconventional killer you know but at the same time at this point it's old hand Mm -hmm. it's rote you know this stuff has been been written people know it and i think you're right i think they fell into that pitfall um but i mean like i you know i'm 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 watching this and and i'm like okay so he has a shed where he's uh written stuff on the wall it looks like it's in blood yeah he's got he's writing he's drawing uh, murals on the side of the shed yeah He's uh, they they got uh, air fresheners up in the stinky just like room, seven, just yeah, like just seven. Just the stinky room, <laughs> the stinky room. Like uh, dirty dishes everywhere, yeah. you know. Just it, okay, and 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 the thing is that this is 
This is as deep a hell as a human being can think up mm. of. Mm. They don't think they, they they think of clutter and right. and uh, uh, dirtiness and um, uh, lack of of interest in in hygiene, especially right, right. that it is the uh, it's evil. It's so evil. Yeah. Whereas you know the most evil people that we've ever uh, seen. Are not like Ed Gein wearing no. people's faces. Most of them are very clean, structured. You know, politicians. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The absolute worst. Yeah. So to me, yes, that that started. I just started watching well, it, and I'm like, that's what was interesting to me was how how much care was taken in Carcosa with building all that and stuff. Absolutely, you know, with manufacturing his kind of fantasy. Right. And this is where again I would kind of diverge. I would actually say that to an extent, um, Errol. Uh, I think has again, and he he almost says as much. You know, his ascension is at hand. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think that he's seen things like Rust has. Sure. I think he's been exposed to this, so I think he has been able to pull back the veil. I do think he's. I, it has affected his sanity. Clearly, like Clearly, I said, yeah. common theme in that cosmic horror thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some people handle it better than others for sure. one reason or another. Sure. Um, you go out it's, to to in in the mouth of madness. You go into the the book, the horror writer's yeah. book, and you don't come out all yeah. sane and everything. You exactly. get thrown in an insane asylum. Exactly. That's what's happening. Carpenter, you know. Yeah. Uh, like you were saying, uh, what was the. Who goes there? Yeah, one episode's named that. Yeah, I think it was the thing movies and the story that right. they were based on. Right, um, and it's and it's actually uh, if you look at that uh, at that title, it has a, a very interesting uh, point to make really? about what McConaughey is is. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a joke. It's kind of who goes there because I think it's on the episode that is the one with the where he makes his atheistic. Anyway, it's very. I think it's very important to to McConaughey and the show as a whole. Who goes there? It's not yeah. just the who goes there horrific cosmic horror, uh, Lovecraftian yeah. Carpenter type horror. Right. But it really is a question. That's the question of spirituality. It's the question of who's the bad guy. It's the, it's it's so many questions. It's the it's the levels of the questions. And there's you know I I I a lot of people. Uh, really thought that, you know, them following Errol into Carcosa, into that kind of underground den, was pretty lame. Yeah. But it was like, I, th- I thought it was wonderful. I mean, yeah. I thought it was great. Um, Go into this maze. You get those voices amazing. coming from all around. That's the, the same type of thing. Who exactly. goes there, you know? I mean, we know who it is, but I mean, it's right. like, suddenly he's not there. Exactly. And, I'm glad you said that. Um, So, I I thought that was great. And the the, the basically, like, the speeches, the little little bits that, that Errol are throwing out there, I just thought was were wonderfully eerie. I mm-hmm. mean, wonderful, deep and dark. Absolutely. You know, I agree with um, that. You know, calling Rust a little priest and... And, uh, you priest. Know, priest. I thought that it was Prince. Priest. No. It's a little priest. I like that, too. I well, love that now. And he's, he's speaking of it, you know, he's he's speaking of these things in very religious terms. You yeah. Know, he, he calls um, Ledoux and... Uh, uh, who was the other guy that that they killed? The one that blew up. Or yeah, the one that blew up. Uh, yeah, starts with a W. Well, yeah, yeah, starts with a W. Um, he calls them acolytes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, and I think that Errol again sees his death as an ascension. Yeah. Of sorts, he's being removed from the circle. Right. I think he's no longer going to be a part into this play because he's seen things. He has this hidden knowledge. Yeah. He's elevated. Yeah. Um. So once. You know, he, he kind of sees what's going to happen. 
he's going to be pulled out from this troubled flat circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Rust is going to be stuck with it. Yeah. Um, but that, because he has to murder him to get out, Rust almost takes the mantle from him to yeah, extent. Yeah, Because he's seen the same things. Right. He's tasted and smelled the same things. Right. That rust and ash or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know. Um, aluminum and aluminum ash. Aluminum ash that are big signifiers of, you know, it's how Rust knows that, you know, this is where these elements that he's run into in the past exist, right. you know. Um so yeah, the little things about how he, you know, his, his ascension's at hand, and uh, come to me, little priest, to take the bridal path and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And what did you think of the, um, the like stone tableau and stuff at the end, or not the tableau, but the, um, like the, the throne. The, yeah, the throne. Because I actually, my my take on it is that that is actually the yellow king in effigy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree completely. Okay. When I saw that, I was like, we're going into the court. Yeah, we're going. Yep. We're going to see the th- throne. Yeah, this is his throne room. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Gotcha. Um, I think that it's also interesting that they're going into the hearth. They're going into the heart of everything, or the heart mm-hmm. of him, of his mindset. Uh, if it's uh, if it's a cosmic horror, it's it's where he goes to pray. I would say. Well, no, absolutely, and and I mean also bear bear in mind. Um, again, it's it's you discover the deep dark things. They're deep down in the earth, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, these these cosmic cars and stuff are billions. They're older than the universe. Yeah, you know. Uh, so you have to dig into the heart of the earth to, you know, yep. like kind of connect with those bygone eras, yep. and that's where in a lot of that horror lies. So I agree. Um, so what did you think? Uh, since we're we're kind of talking about the ending already. Yeah. So we get to this point where the philosophizing does come back. Mm-hmm. Um, just briefly, so we have Rust admitting that he was during the time he was in the coma, mm-hmm. he could feel his daughter right from the afterlife, and that he was willing to let go. He was willing to mm-hmm. to to go into that darkness, to, and he did. He let go, but what he felt was was her presence, and this is probably connected to a a longer point of of religion, atheism, and belief that go throughout the whole series. Yeah. But that Rust right now, he kind of has a religious experience. Uh, or do you not see it that way? I can see, I can see the argument for it. Um, <clears throat> and again, I, I think if you are going to argue for that, you, you also have to realize that that argument is, is again, based on what are essentially tropes. You know, sure. conventions of mythologies. Yeah. Um, stories. The stories, stories we tell. The stories we tell, exactly. Which, uh, you know, um, the whole thing is a story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, there's that very meta kind of aspect mm-hmm. to it all. But um, it's 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 tough because it, it, it does kind of flirt with that. But I don't necessarily you think don't read it that, that it was a, spirit, a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. I, I could actually see that being a, a very melancholy horrible thing you know um marty makes the comment that he's impossible to kill right and it's like what if that's really kind of at the heart of it you know because rust uh you know rust talks about 
humankind should deny their programming. Yeah. You know, walk into that dark night and you know, exactly. end everything. Exactly. But he's not programmed that way. Yeah. He's not programmed to take his life no matter how much he wanted to. He's not, I don't think he's, to an extent, I would say he's almost programmed not to find anything in a, uh, not to find an appreciation in death. Yeah. Uh, he struggles for that. He wants to be reunited. Um, but you know what, to a certain extent, I, I'll, I use the words higher calling, but I'm not speaking in a divine sense. Uh, he has more work to do, I think, in his mind. Sure. Uh, and he desperately wants to be with his daughter, with mm-hmm. his mom and his, I think he said his mom and his pops. Right. Um, but that's, he's, he's stuck in the flat circle. You know, he's, he's already, you know, bound to, uh, get back to this life and to, uh, be stuck kind of uh, in the in the same um i keep wanting to use the word circle even though i've used it so many times but Mm -hmm. i i think about it this way um okay boom you've got rust's life years ago his daughter passes that for him was kind of an end of one life right now you have this kind of second time through the circle around the circle where this this the same experiences right uh it's very um i think it was schopenhauer i've got a note about it somewhere who, mm-hmm. who kind of had this idea that uh, yeah aesthetic contemplation contemplation whereas you, you you try to view the the world not as a perceptual experience but you actually try to view the perceptual experience as a whole mm-hmm. you know at, from from removed yeah, yeah and I think you know so now he's got this he's stuck in this other loop so he's he just he keeps going around trying to achieve the same kind of. Well, he, uh, he also says that the, the I was looking for this about your denying the programming and walking into yeah. extinction. I he's saying the reason to get out of bed in the morning is to bear witness. Right. But it's probably his programming, and he lacks the will to commit suicide. Yeah, exactly. You know. Um. And so he's trying to find a way out. Obviously not. Mm-hmm. Not via his own hand. Right. He's not programming. Well, but, you know. One element that I think about, and I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. One element that I think about, <clears throat> and I was thinking about this on the way up, is uh, he lacks this commitment to commit suicide. But he smokes cigarettes. Just he, he sucks them in. He yeah, sucks they, in that yeah. that poison as quickly yeah. as possible. As he, he every he every scene, him. yeah, especially when he's in the in the interview in the interrogation, yeah. and he's he's uh you know just drinking. It's very self destructive. Exactly. Yeah, very self destructive, which is interesting because you, you you kind of there's two there's two brands of self destruction kind of I think on display there. One is with Marty and his his uh you know that machismo and his attitudes towards women and stuff like that. Um, there's a certain of self-destructiveness there um there's the self-destructiveness of cole who is seeking an out but he knows i think deep down that uh he can't get out he desperately wants to get Mm -hmm. out which is where i was going with all that but he's not he's he's stuck in the circle and i think we are all exactly um but the the interesting thing there i think is that you could also see an analog to an extent in errol because his past has has created this self-destructive identity. Cole's past has created this self-destructive identity. Marty's past has created this, you know, maybe not so much self-destructive identity, but still, you know. But he does. He, he destroys does. everything that he says he cares about. Exactly. So yeah. he, he's got this really kind of weird 
there's just hypocritical nature to Marty, yeah. uh, which I think, you know what, I think a lot of people can connect with that to Definitely. an extent. Um, certainly when you talk about like the, you know, John Wayne, 1950s, mm -hmm. oh, sure. machismo and, and uh, noir detectives and stuff like that. Um, Definitely. So they all have their kind of special brand of self-destructiveness and uh, self-destructiveness. And it's it, it's interesting too that whether you whether you finally get the mission statement about everything being a flat circle, before we get there, you know, that that second or third episode is so overtly uh, atheist, so overtly trying to actually, you know, maybe not even not even. Uh, atheist but also kind of judging and pa or passing judgment on organized religion these these there's a lot of that right you know yeah. these uh these, these little groups, these hicks these people exactly. that need that a need story, a story need to tell a story to, yeah. in order to kind of compose their lives and stuff like that um yeah i mean those, yeah. those elements are there i think um but i and i don't necessarily think that cole's experience at the end would cause him to refute any of that okay um i think he still probably will hold on to those ideas because again i don't think he sees what occurred as any type of connection with uh that type of experience i i think it's it, he saw an out this out that he finally wanted to achieve uh and he says you know his identity starts to fade you know mm -hmm. he's got these you know his awareness starts to fade he's no longer uh, Rust Cole, you know, but he he did make a, uh, I believe he did make a statement earlier in one of the earlier episodes about wanting to be part of a community. Yeah. Um, so there is this kind of want, but he wants that, I think, in death. Well, what does it mean when he, they meet up with the, um, the old black woman who took care of yeah. them and and their meet and and after their meeting, uh, Russ says she was wrong about one thing that there's nothing after death. To well, me, that phrase... Yeah, I don't think that's what he stuck said. with me. I don't think that's what he said, actually. Did he? he said, I thought he said, I'm hoping... I hope that she's not right about that. Right? That's what she said? That's what I he said. Know. Let's see. This that, mortal that woman was wrong about death not being the end of it. She, saw, she, she says that... Uh, it's uneasy... When they start talking about Carcosa, so they start right. talking about uh, Sam's She says, home. rejoice, death is not the end. Well... So, I, how, I'd how have to, to go back and, and check it. But my, my, my take on it, if, if I heard what I heard, I guess, mm -hmm. um, again, is that he he wants death to be that out. He's, you know, again, been stuck in this, this circle of degradation and whatnot. He needs death to be that out. How do you feel, how do you view, with, with your point of view there, how do you I mean, view the dark and the light? And the I think final that, I think that whatever statements. his whatever his experience was, um, yeah, obviously it, it transformed him to a certain extent. I'm not willing to say that he's going to be sunshine and lollipops for the rest. But of his is life. he is he hopeful? But is he positive? Um, I think it's yeah. I think I think it is the first time you see a bit of positivity. Right. You, you see a little bit of him shaking off that pessimism. <clears throat> excuse me, that he mentions in one of the earliest episodes. Well, that's another thing, you know, when I, I, I've been talking a couple times about this on the show and, and I feel like that, that, uh, the world is worth fighting for from seven. seven. Yeah. You know, the, the world is a, a deep and dark and terrible place, but it's worth fighting, but for. it's worth fighting for. And I think that that's kind of, that's a reflection of, if you ask me, lights winning. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. Um, and I think that, the the more interesting point there is that you ha you have to take into consideration is the first thing he says that kind of qualifies it all is that 
once there was only, only darkness, mm-hmm. you know, so you think about that, you know, once there was only darkness and now there's little, little pinpricks of light appearing. So there's a battle being fought. Right. The Reverend Tuttle actually even says the same thing in episode two, I think. Yeah. There's battle in a different context. And he says, you know, I think you gentlemen are smart enough to know that there's a battle being fought or something like right. that. So because That's we're getting story. shorter on time, yeah, let's yeah. talk about the things that we loved about the show. You mentioned the open title sequence. Ah, it's you know it's it's interesting because you that whole double exposure element has mm-hmm. kind of taken off, uh, particularly now, and I think there's going to be a lot of mimicry in it. But for a while now, probably for a couple of years, there's been a, there were a couple of photographers who were doing working with this, um, and a lot of the cameras actually, a lot of the DSLRs just do it now. They have a double exposure mode. Um, you just have to make sure that there's just you know a reasonable contrast between your background. Like a lot of the stuff that I've seen is you've got to blow out your background, um, and then it's literally in the camera you take the two photos and you just say hey double exposure and the camera itself makes the adjustment. Wow. You can also do this stuff in Photoshop sure. or whatnot. But um, have you ever been to the website Art of the Title? Yes. Yeah, they did a great Fantastic. rundown. They actually have a copy of the creative brief that um, I forget the name of the the company. Uh, that they presented to HBO to the showrunners when they came to them and said hey and Art of the Title does that a lot they'll have access to these materials Um, so there's this wonderful exploration of the ideas and themes that they took and tried to execute and I think that it's it was so successful that their creative brief is basically what you see on screen Mm -hmm. Um, but if anything you know going back to mood and atmosphere that opening sequence is so evocative you know um and yeah some of it's kind of again kind of i think uh what's the word i'm looking for you know just overt there's the one scene with cole there's a cross back on his wall mm-hmm. there's like flames yeah. well that's really overt and it kind of te- it touches on like all these vices you know industry yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's also some representations of kind of this perversion of well i won't say perversion but there's some religious iconography in there that yeah. you see throughout the the show that they I don't think they make it a point to pervert mm-hmm. but yes certainly those elements are there um, but I just love the way it's done you know the, like Definitely. I said that the the song um, I love it it's perfect yeah, it's perfect perfect um, the the double exposure sometimes the uh, there's the one scene of uh, Marty where he's got the the footage of um like a overpass or yeah, something. Though, like, yeah, And his, his face takes on like the look yeah, of a yeah. skull almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really wonderful. Definitely. Wonderful work. Um, I think it's uh, probably granted that uh, the show, the show's writing and plotting, mm-hmm. parallel storylines, mm-hmm. untrustworthy narrators. One of the yeah. things that really popped out at me throughout the whole show is when we get into them telling the 2012 cops mm-hmm. what happened say at the meth lab in the yeah, forest and you get the little nuances in there actually and you see but you also you see, see yeah. what really happened and i like that again we're approaching this thing as stories we tell mm-hmm. and one story is completely out of 
um, out of uh, the the way of of the truth. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing this. You know, we see Rust. Uh, we see Marty telling them the story of how it went down at the meth lab. We see Rust telling them how it went down at the meth lab. You you have Maggie telling the cops she doesn't know why they had a fight when she absolutely knows what caused the fight. Right. Um, and I un- and I see as we get closer to episode seven and episode eight that the stories that Rust and and, and Marty are telling, especially to each other, yeah. are now aligning with the truth or yeah. what really happened. They're no longer creating stories. They are right. telling each other truth. There's been this convergence of, of right. kind of, uh, the details. I think the show handle, handled it great. The, the, their ability to jump through those timelines uh, and, that then, too, and then, yeah. again, kind of solidify everything. The way they handled it all was wonderful. And that, in fact, that was one of the things that I remember Woody Harrelson saying about the script was that it was he knew that there was going to be a challenge in um, like running with those mm-hmm. separate timelines basically yeah. uh, and he really liked that the idea of that challenge so that was one of the things that drew him to it absolutely um, and we're also kind of in a perfect time you know I, it, there's there's a whole a whole episode a whole discussion we could have and maybe we will we will mm-hmm. have about the religious and atheistic and Christianity yeah. the, the, the spiritualism that goes throughout this yeah. whole show there's also a great long discussion we could have about feminism and misogyny and misogyny yeah um, Chensky and uh, David Chensky and uh, and Joanna Robinson did a uh, podcast, a special episode, slash film, slash film. Yeah, I think I heard that on, one, yeah. on the feminism of of uh, or or what could be perceived kind of, yeah, as misogyny. Kind of, I think kind of refuting some of those elements. Exactly, not, not refuting outright, but but right. saying that you know, yeah, there's some of it's there, but. Uh, you have to take context into it. You have to, like, yeah. Context is everything. Exactly. Right? It's about scope. It's it's same yeah. people. Like, for instance, whenever I talk to someone about the scope of a particular story and they say that there's not enough representation of minorities or not enough representation of um, of uh, different uh, of, of both genders or whatever. Yeah. People who criticize uh, Game of Thrones, people who criticize uh, girls. Yeah. Whether you like those shows or not, the question is, what is the scope of it? I'm all for minorities and uh, women uh, and everybody having an equal place. Right. But in the scope of a story, I don't want someone just shoehorned in to meet a quota. Right. Right. I don't no, want I there agree. just be a, a black character because we need more blacks right. on the screen. I want the character if if it fits the story to be it black. Yeah, to play. yeah that's anybody. Fine. Just right. put anybody in there. It doesn't all have to be Lily White. Right. But it needs to have. It can't be just shoehorned in to meet no, a quota. There has to be a purpose. Yeah, yeah. Be a purpose so in the in the scope of uh, and I, I I urge people to go check out that slash film uh, podcast. It's like there's, 20, there's 30 been minutes. A lot a lot written on it actually. Yeah. Um, and I I think the and I don't remember the name of the woman who wrote the kind of the piece that sparked it mm-hmm. off I think but um, you know I, and I think that one of the and, and this can be again this can be said for anything um, I, I'm not just harping on the misogyny angle because yeah. I don't necessarily think that uh, it's as prevalent as people right well it's the, it's the scope they think right. you know in the scope of the story uh, unfortunately, there are two or three levels of what I mean, women yeah, are in that ex- in that world. Exactly, um, in that world, yep, you know what I mean. Uh, through those characters' eyes, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I think that um, she just had. She seemed to have such a cursory 
I don't know. It it was very knee jerk. I felt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there, you know, out of that though, I think was were born some very good discussions. Um, on that topic. Um, the one good thing that she did do, and I I feel horrible because I can't remember her name. Um, she listed off a couple of TV series and maybe a movie or two that handled very similar things, but had strong female characters sure. in lead roles or in sure. uh, other roles. Um, that made me say, oh, well, hey, I've never seen these before. Sure. Yeah, you know, so I want to go watch them now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Top of the Lake was one of them. Absolutely. Um, stuff like that. And I think that, you know, this is a conversation that Fernando and I had back uh, in our Best of of, uh, of uh, 2013 podcast. Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, Orange is the New Black. Whether you like that show or not, uh, that show handles the different types of women. Mm-hmm. You don't get a... A, a one-dimensional woman right. in that show. You also don't get only a white person in mm-hmm. that show. You yeah. have a whole range of different people. Mm-hmm. You have uh, uh, black women that are good and bad, yeah. that are disgusting and sexy. You have mm-hmm. white women. You have uh, 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 Latino women. You have all these different types of women and representing every type sure. of human being. You know, sure. They don't do that enough in TV and movies, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But again... People that say, hey, we need to have a black person in there, also a good black person, right. you know. Uh, we, we need uh, a woman in there. And not just a woman, but a woman who represents us. Yeah. We don't need a shoehorned-in representative. Right. No, and I agree with you. It's um, pure, terrible. Just to, to touch on the, the religious thing real quick. Yeah, sure. Kind of over real quick. And yeah, we probably could go into it. I thought one of the more interesting aspects of True Detective was actually, and it came out early on in the series, was how... Uh, religion can be used, uh, and not just Christianity in particular, but uh, you know, religion can be used uh, with the express purpose to uh, instill fear in a populace to gain a certain amount of leverage and control yeah. over uh, you know Mind any control. situation, yeah. politics, you know, anything, uh, mm-hmm. and that's that's brought to bear very early on, and I think that's that's at the root of Rust's kind of... Because Rust has a very kind of... I hesitate to use the word Buddhist kind of thing, but that kind of plays into um, the, that idea, the uh, his, his... Not even his nihilism, but the... Uh, Hel- healthy Schop- skepticism? Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer... Oh, this... Um, this whole idea that Schopenhauer kind of came up with, you had mentioned the word metapsychotic, but yeah. I think that that's kind of an error because that I've never that word I don't necessarily know if it exists to be honest with you metempsychosis however is a, a philosophy associated with religious transcendence uh-huh. um, with uh, more or less kind of like you know, I'd say reincarnation but that's kind of slapping too many labels on it but sure. a very similar kind of thing um, and part of that is uh is this idea that human desire creates suffering and pain? Sure. Um, so it is kind of this very almost Buddhist conceit, you know, deliver your, get away from all your attachments, your you know, to this world and stuff like that. Um, and all of that's really kind of brought to bear very early on. Uh, and I think you see that's why Ross kind of sees these mechanisms uh, as I won't pass a patently evil, but he sees their he sees the ill that they can do. Sure. It's the ill they can perpetrate on people. I think that his whole view of the system. Yeah. I think unlike unlike Marty, 
who has um, faith, family. faith. He's got all these. But he's also uh, he's also faithful to the system. Mm-hmm. He's faith, faithful to the procedure. He's faithful chain to of command. That's chain how of it command. Works. Exactly. You know. To Rust. He sees, he is like, you know, when he's talking about someone up here mm-hmm. looking down. Yeah. Me, me, me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm so fucking Yeah, important. I'm so fucking important. <laughs> he's also one, one of those people that can see the mechanism, see the procedure. Yeah. He knows what's going to happen to that woman who drowned her kids. Yeah. He s- says the media is going to be harsh. Jail is not good not to childhood yeah, killers. No. Kill yourself. Kill yourself. His his whole thing is not like uh, well, he's buying also, into it. He's also speaking to her there about going against her programming. You know what I mean? Which right. again, that, um, and uh, you're talking about the procedure, um, the, the procedural, the process. You know, the these rigid guidelines that you know uh, certain portions of society follow. You know, policemen. Yeah. You know, getting back to again that point that I think a lot of people overlooked in the Gracie bit. Uh, that's there's this profound ignorance that goes along with following procedure because that's the way things work. That's status quo. I did my job. It's not my fault. The next person, you know, whatever. Um, we're talking about 2D and 3D representations kind of of time and, mm. you know, Rust goes on about this, the sphere and the circle, basically. Uh Rust, I think, can can do that. He can look at that circle. He can take that procedure as a whole, and he can see it, and he can see the flaws in it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he can see everything at once, basically. Yeah. Marty can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? He yeah. he knows the procedure. He knows these steps mm-hmm. and everything, but he's not astute enough, at least at that point True. in time when they're discussing it, True. to step back and True. remove himself and see the flaws. Right. Well, why does... Um you know what, if you think about it, there's probably not just one, there's probably several reasons why Marty agrees to go back and, and finish the case with him in the 2012 timeline. Uh, I, my, my two things about that are, uh, and one, I think, well, maybe three things. One, uh, that's a, noir, a very noir conceit, in my opinion. Sure. You have a debt. Sure. That you have to pay. There's, sure. you know, there's the code. We have to see this thing through. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, obviously, Russ had gotten to a point in his life where this has obviously bothered him for in the interim. He's got to see it through because that's the only way. Because he's planning on denying his programming. He's planning on tying himself off one way or the other. I don't think that either of them expected to live through their confrontation with Errol. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in fact, I wouldn't. I know that. I think Fukunaga and Pizzolatto have actually said they didn't want to they actually didn't want to have either of them die because that would again be slavish to these tropes but which doesn't make sense to me because they you know confounded everything by remaining so slavish to them in other areas Um, I was convinced that at least one of them would die yeah Um, and of course I thought it was going to be Rust but then I was like once that seventh episode rolled around I think it was the seventh episode when Marty goes to see Maggie I was like okay well Maybe it'll be Marty at this point. Yeah. A lot of made a lot was a lot was made about maybe Marty or Maggie or Maggie's family, right. all of them being involved in this. And I was oh like, yeah, right, right. Yeah, that seems a little right. too. I mean, that in and of itself would almost see like 
you, know, you talk about the extent of corruption and sure. stuff. Again, very noir quality. Very noir. You know, I, and even at the even at the end when they're when they have triumphed over evil, yeah. hearing that you know Tuttle organization that the FBI and the state uh, attorneys they, yeah. they, they didn't link it up. They it's, actually denied dude, it. So many people, uh, so many people online and forums are more pissed off about that. And I was like, I'll bet right. you none of these motherfuckers have seen Chinatown. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Like, exactly. No, no. You cannot defeat evil. Right. The, no. the evil, especially the higher powered evil, is I never going no, to. It's no country for old men. Exactly. You know I mean, exactly. The, the evil exists. Exactly. He's you know? not going to die. He's not going to die. You know, Sugar, Sugar is is uh, is evil incarnate. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You know what I mean. And I think that that's a, a, a big part of it. I think that you know where we we criticize these tropes. If you have seen a noir, if you're a fan of the of the genre, yeah. you see you see exposition, heavy exposition. You you, you it, the whole show is not um, hinged on you remembering names or who did right. what. You have you have all these. It's, it's not a whodunit. Exactly. I mean, and the creators exactly. said exactly that. It's exactly. not a whodunit. You know? You're getting all these uh, French uh, Louisiana names thrown at yeah. you, uh, Ledoux, and <laughs> and you're getting all this, and you're getting all this information. But that procedure is not important. It isn't. If you're right. talking about the character study that it is, right. all you need to know is. One little element. What? Where? Right. What? Where are they going next? You don't. And what even happens to the people that you know again follow those procedures blindly? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. One little. One last thing that we're going to touch on real quick yep. before we end, is I kind of feel like True Detective really has blown up, especially since episode four. Yeah. Um, and become very much part of a pop culture zeitgeist like yep. Lost or, or Twin Peaks did. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do, um, especially maybe in, in our bubble of being online, being part of the internet, right. is uh, Michael M. Hughes' io9 article, okay. article that came out. Um, Really specifically pointed to the chamber stuff. To the yeah. chamber stuff, the you know before we see a little these little elements of the yellow king or the king right. in yellow, uh, in in uh, Dora Lang's mm-hmm. uh, uh, their journals and her diaries. So then you know the, the real the, I think the the thing is that people want to have something, some mystery or something to read into. So right. as soon as we see this Hughes article, which is actually really good, kind of uh, giving you a frame of reference, yeah. Things people well. took it maybe too far. They yeah. went down that road a little too hard. I mean, even P- Pizzolatto in interviews is saying... I you back did, off of it. You yeah. back off it. It's not. It's not the thing. It's if you much want more straightforward, story there are other. Yeah. There are other books that you should focus on, not Chambers stuff. Yeah. That is the the, the uh, influence of. Yeah. Uh, I think Legati. Charles uh-huh. Legati was one of the authors she cited. Um, but right. you can see these influences uh, in the work. Um, yeah. It's obviously a work of Southern Gothic horror, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's what it comes down to. Again, it's it's framed as a p- procedural. It's, uh-huh. a, it's a character study framed as a procedural. And this goes back to the point that I was making before, that there are these layers to this It's you know that you can peel back and appreciate on their own that one way or the other should not take, don't need to take away from the story. You can yeah. appreciate it just on the level of the character study. Sure. You can appreciate, and, and then on top of that, there are built these procedural elements. Yeah. And then on top of that, there's this this horror, cosmic horror kind of element to it. Um, but yeah, some people took it to crazy extents. I mean, even if I had my own theories, um, I did think that Maggie's father was going to have been a part of that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I told my wife at one point, I said, I think I've got it. I said, you know, I think really it's just going to come down to uh, um, 
you know, just a pedophilia ring, basically. And it's, it's kind of here or there, you know. And, um, uh, interestingly enough, I stumbled upon uh, an FBI document from WikiLeaks that was a discussion of symbology used by pedophiles mm-hmm. and the the spiral is very very similar to a triangle symbol that pedophiles use to uh, identify one another and identify certain circles within there interesting yeah i thought that was pretty neat i was like wow. so obviously there's this kind of there was a connection i'm sure pizzolato having this interest probably saw something like mm-hmm. that and, and kind of took that but um right. um i you know i ran away with it you know everybody did i didn't kind of i don't think i got as far out as a right. lot of other people. and there's still because of that installed ambiguity there's still exactly. some there's an exactly. argument raging out there yeah um and i really don't think and maybe this is just lazy this maybe this is me being lazy as a viewer or uh you know whatever just being comfortable with it um I think, again, you, you, there's when you can engage material, you, you don't have to adhere to authorial intent. You know sure. what I mean? You don't have to. That's part of the experience for sure. me in any art form. Adds life as, to as it. a viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, you you have to engage it, and yeah. this this gets back to stuff that we talked about last time I was here. You can't just be passive with True Detective. You you can't. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, one, it's too good. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you do get hooked, you exactly, know. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, and there's this... I think it's very human of us to kind of want to figure out the, the puzzles, you know. We're sure. problem solvers, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that, like you said, once this dropped uh, in, a, in a major way that, hey, there's this, you know... Literary yeah, connection. Like literary connection. People, mm-hmm. yeah, just went apeshit with it. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to them. Honestly, um, when I first read that, I got excited. I was like, sure. you know, and I, I think I even put something on Facebook. I said, you know, um, if HBO has managed to sneak this cosmic horror piece in here, then this is a hell of a coup, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could really be onto something. Right. The, the name alone, True Detective, alludes to a lot of that stuff because in many of the Lovecraft tales and other people's tales, um, that in these cosmic horror and, and ancient kind of horror, well, not ancient horror, but um, you, these gothic horror elements that you know Poe wrote on and, and Stoker read on. There's always somebody trying to investigate something. Sure, it's a scholar, a critic, a detective, mm-hmm. even. So true detective, even the name fits it. And then yeah. they were like, "Oh, it's going to be an anthology series," right. and it was like, "Well, right. shit, that's perfect," right. because obviously. What happens to characters in the old Lovecraft stories a lot of times is they go fucking nuts. Right. And you move on to the next guy right. who discovers the Necronomicon right. and the Cthulhu mythos. The, qu- the, question, the question is here for me if the next season is about women or a woman and a man or something like that. He's Bizzolato has mentioned it. Has, okay. Have you read what he yeah, said? Yeah. Uh-huh. He said it's going to be about hard women and the, yeah. and the secret occult beginnings of the U.S. Uh, transit, uh, the system. transit system. It was like, what I, the fuck does that mean? I just I just wonder if, if they're going to be slavish to the name. Do you think uh, yeah. that it's always going to be about cops? Do you think it's going to be about... I would about love it if it wasn't. Detectiveness would, in you know, I would, people. I would you know? love it if it yeah. wasn't. Um... I mean, but I, at the same time, I think that there's uh, this natural human curiosity right. that manifests itself in a lot of different uh, careers, occupations, sure. and just other areas. But I would, I would love it if, you know, they weren't cops, or maybe right. one of them was a right. cop, you know, and 
you know, um, there was a lot to a lot to do about whether or not. My initial reaction was that the Yellow King kind of would remain that cultish kind of thing would remain like a constant. Thing. Oh, okay, right. I don't think it will at yeah. this point, but um. No, I, w- I would absolutely love it. Um, we're gonna we're not gonna know what the pattern is until yeah. We and start I, well, and the thing is, when he starts, I'm, I'm thinking about getting back to that spiral and the tablo- uh, the mm-hmm. the yeah the tableaus that the murder would do, mm-hmm. and a lot of the imagery and the symbology and stuff. Yeah. Um, you, the 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 um, devils devils nets or the devils, devil's nets or traps whatever it was or, the yeah. devil traps. Um, Blair Witch. Oh yeah, yeah. popped out of my head. Yeah, like, yeah, you sure. know, again, that's obviously an obvious like kind of homage and whatnot. But um, I've got these things going through my head, and I'm you know, I'm sitting there thinking it would it would uh, it would be great if they and they had different character types. You know, yeah. if they had different people pursuing this. a yeah. librarian who stumbles upon some monkey. But exactly. I, then I'm thinking about these references, this symbology involved. And that remark he made, which sounds so outlandish, the secret occult yeah, yeah. beginnings of the U.S. transit system. Right. And I'm thinking, well, what is the great, what is like the greatest symbology, you know, that we've constructed? Mm-hmm. I mean, you pull back and you look at these roads and stuff. Sure. You know, and how they cut across the U.S. and how, sure. you know, they, they intersect and interweave. And what can you, what kind of designs could you pull out of there mm-hmm. and stuff? And uh, that's one of the things that drove me mad not to shift gears as we're winding down, but about Shyamalan's signs. This whole idea of you right. know communicating through these long yeah. crop circles and yeah, stuff. Yeah. There's like there's so much he could have done with that sure. with the camera. You know capture you know, when we build roads and they're based on old designs. The Pentagon. You know there's this wonderful occult significance to mm-hmm. that that people harp onto, you know, sure. grasp onto. Sure. Um, so then it's kind of like there's an element there that I could see him digging out. Unless Pizzolatto is. Misdirecting everybody. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Wait till it comes up and it has nothing, nothing to do with it. And that's the other thing was I could really, because it sounds so it does, yeah. stupid, yeah, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I could totally see that. I could be season, in this direction. Season one. Hey, what's, what's your what's your report card? I wouldn't fucking buy it on, D, on Blu-ray, yeah. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Um, I would... The, the I mean, pros are we talking stars far, or are we... Yeah, the pros far, far away the cons. cons. Far away the cons. Yeah. Um, again, uh, it, it's... I really think that, you know... It's almost a, I'm not perfect, but it's this grand pastiche of so many things, and all of these things hook people. You know, if you want that rich character study, it's there. If you want the police procedural thing, because you know that's a hot thing. Oh you yeah. Know, those elements are there. If you want the supernatural thing, that's there. If you want titties and girls talking yeah. about being fucked in the ass sure that's there that is you know? a, a large <laughs> like, selling point for like, a lot of people i mean i'm just saying like there's <laughs> we can re-examine the pros and cons sure. of dog, you know and sure. we there, but but the elements that it does well it just they say, execute so well i'll say that right now we are looking at true detective as its own singular storytelling isolated storytelling yeah. element we all know that as tv is first seasons are usually the worst because yeah. they don't find their footing it's gonna be until real later. hard to outdo this though that's I, the I, truth i really think i, I hope truth. that it gets better who do you want for season two who do you know. think do i want i do want women fuck yeah but yeah. you know what you know i I would love to fucking see Michael Shannon and uh, oh, yeah. Nichols direct. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. As as I don't care what role yeah, yeah. he fucking plays. You know. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see that that come together and. and uh, my like my this. hopes for the second season really, uh, I I I just want them 
to to build on this. I don't yeah. care who the the stars are really. I right. wonder if they're going to find two stars that could be as watchable. It's gonna as, be real as, tough, as them. man. But uh, I don't even know. Is it is it uh, taken for granted that it's gonna stay in the south? Is it gonna? I don't stay think it would. No, I think he would move it. Um, yeah. In fact, I want to say he was talking about having it on the west coast. Mm-hmm. But I'm not entirely certain. That would totally go with the noir elements, Los Angeles. Yeah, I, w- I, I was hoping he would take it to the Northeast. Uh, right. You know, could, again, sure. that kind of aligns more with the Cosmic Horror stuff that sure. I was a, a big fan of. So. Sure. Caleb, right. thank you. Pleasure always. Perfect, perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome.